Welcome to the Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership Podcast. Subscribe now so you don't miss a drop of straight talk you can't get anywhere else. We discuss the whiskeys to drink, music to listen to, and what it really takes to be an effective leader. I'm your host, Galen Bingham, the leadership strategist. Tonight's guest, healer and spiritual warrior, Teresa Bruni. Hey, what you drink? Okay, so no preliminary conversation about this guest. This is someone who uh, I met literally on LinkedIn. And as I mentioned before, I, I, I am absolutely up to 350 million connections on LinkedIn. And every now and then I'll meet someone and, and they'll, they'll have as crazy of an idea as I will. And that is, let's have an actual conversation. And before I could ask this person, I don't know, let's have an actual conversation. Wouldn't you know, they asked me that exact same question. And so, hey, we're having an actual conversation. So I've got to take it even further. I got to prove that I'm the crazier of the two. And I said, well, let's just have this conversation on an episode of Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership. And so with that, I introduce to some and reintroduce to many, Miss Teresa Bruni. How are you doing, Teresa? I'm doing great, and I'm so happy to be here, Galen. Thank you for having me. <laughs> okay, well, so we had such a great conversation uh, when we met, and I almost felt like at the end of it that, you know, we should be trading Christmas cards or something because I felt like, you know, we were becoming close friends. And so to have this conversation on Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership seemed to make a lot of sense. But I still have a lot of questions. I still have a lot of questions. But the first question I have is, so what you drinking? Well, I'm going to be honest. I'm drinking water tonight, but I really wish I had some Bushmills. <laughs> Tell me about Bushmills. I mean, I don't really get a whole lot into the Irish whiskeys. Tell me a little bit about that. Why, why do you like that one so much? Okay, so I was camping with a friend not far away. We were up at Jordan Lake, beautiful place. It was August and her parents stopped by to visit the campground and her father had a bottle of Bushmills and he turned me on to Bushmills and I decided I really liked it. <laughs> so it's my, um, it's my go-to, you know, uh, my favorite is, is, is Crown Royal, but just and every day, have it in the liquor cabinet. Bushmills is my go-to. Wow. See, now you can't argue with a go-to, right? You just can't argue with a go-to. Plus, I have a theory that I have shared with and discussed and vetted with a good friend of mine. And you guys listening, you may remember my conversation with Mr. Aaron Dickey. And we decided that every great bourbon, every great whiskey, every great anything has to have a story. It, it's the story that really adds to the drink. So I, I decided that one of the things that I needed to figure out for this conversation was what is it, what is the perfect whiskey to go with this conversation? And you guys would be like crazy, crazy impressed to understand the the, the work that I go into into selecting 
my bourbons for each conversation. So for this one, I decided to go with Elijah Craig, small batch. It's 94 proof. So this is relatively available in most places. And a lot of people will choose this as their go-to. So I think you and I were kind of connected. Um, yeah, so I'm just going to crack this one open for today. Hold on. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> well, now I'm going to have to try that. There you go. Well, I'm going to enjoy, like I said, what a lot of people will say is their go-to. This is their every day. I'm going to enjoy this. And I can see why. I can see why they choose this. It's there every day. And as I enjoy this, share with the audience just a little bit about who you are and what you do. Because uh, I'm going to go on record uh, for saying that you are the first healer that I've had on this show. And I, I just, I'm really drawn by, you know, again, the conversation that we had before. And just, again, get into your story as I get into this Elijah Craig. I would love to. I'm going to start from the middle. So I was going through a, a very painful divorce and I became chronically ill and I ended up on disability for nine full years. Now, back then I was in technology. I ran mainframe accounting systems. So I was very, very left-brained. And uh, what I discovered on my journey through chronic illness was that if I wanted to recover, I was going to have to take matters into my own hands because the doctors just were not getting me well. So we're going to talk about leadership. So <laughs> I had to take over and lead, take the lead on my health care. I recovered and went back to work full-time in 1999. Now, I wanted to teach people what I had learned about the healing journey, but I had no idea how to do that. I was a technology person. And I, I debated and debated. I took a, a full month to think about how am I going to do this? Am I going to go back into technology or am I going to try to do this woo-woo thing and be some sort of an energy healer? And that just wasn't fitting in. I mean, I had no concept on how to do that. So I went back into technology and fast forwarding about six years, technology lost its thrill for me and it was time to make a change. And through a series of events, I ended up gaining the skills that allowed me to bring my knowledge to people who have chronic health conditions. Mm. Wow. I mean, that is, that is an amazing story that really kind of fits in with not only my story, but so many other people that I, that I speak with where it's, it's not quite what you designed. Right. If if you go back to your twenty year old self, there is no way, there is no way that book would have ended in the chapter that you're in right now. So, talk a little bit about uh, again. What would you what would you say to try to talk your younger self off the ledge after explaining? Yeah, and I'm going to be a healer sometime in the in the future. How would you how would you explain that? You know. 
That's an interesting question. I've never been asked that question before. My 20-year-old self was quite naive, and um, I don't think she would have bought that. <laughs> you know, and, and it was through a series, again, it was through a series of trauma and childhood of abuse that led me right into that bad marriage. And what I learned was trauma, unresolved trauma gets seated in the body mm. until we find a way to release it. And that 20-year-old, that innocent little thing. <laughs> in, 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 the, in the Black community, we, we, we usually say, bless her heart. Just bless her heart. <laughs> she had no idea what was coming down the pike, really. But, you know, God made her strong, so she was able to withstand all of it and now step into her power. Wow. That's great. That's great. You know, and, and again, your, your story and that, and that career journey that you just described uh, really kind of fits my narrative about jazz. Because, again, I, I talk about kind of how I came up with the name of this podcast, Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership. I like all three literally. I just I like whiskey. Uh, I like jazz, and I can't I can't have a conversation without talking about leadership. But for me, the metaphors fit too. So the metaphor for whiskey is doing what you love with people who love it as well, regardless of what other folks might think, right? So that's that's the metaphor of whiskey for me, and it's a kind of a social, conversational type of a type of a lubricant, people would say. But jazz is about how do you get from where you are to where you're supposed to be when there's no sheet music, when there's no script, when things aren't, aren't laid out exactly the way that you've got to do everything that you're supposed to do. You got to figure some things out sometimes on the fly. You've got to improvise. And so that's the metaphor of jazz. And then in leadership, I'm very fond of saying nothing happens until somebody does something, right? And at some point, someone has to decide, here's where we're going. Here's the vision. This is why you should follow me. And I'm going to make sure nothing gets in your way. And, and that's kind of the metaphor of leadership. And when I hear your story, I think about jazz. I think about, again, you, you, you've got to get from that 20-year-old self to whatever it is that you were put here to do. <laughs> and trust me, it was not to be a technology person. There is, there is some purpose for you being here and you got to get there. And how do you weave together all these parts of your life so that when you get to that, to that point, and perhaps you're at that point now, everything makes sense. How does that, how does that analogy, how does that metaphor work for you? That's a great question. You know, I don't regret any moment of my life. Again, I am one of those uh, left brain, but I'm also very right brained. So I don't know if you've ever taken any of those online tests to see, you know, are you left brain? Are you right brain? I measure right down the middle. And so that's the scary part. You see, when I, when I thought about how I would teach people what I had learned about being an empowered patient, 
mm-hmm. being your own leader when it comes to healthcare. And uh, I thought, oh no, I'm 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 way too rough. I I won't. You know, if if they start pussyfooting around, I just won't stand for it. <laughs> and I, I can't. You know, I'm not going to be successful. <laughs> so no bedside manner. No bedside manner whatsoever. Back then, I had no bedside manner um, because I was still operating so so much from that left brain. But then, as I mentioned earlier, through a sequence of events, um, I ended up in a coaching academy, and I never intended to be a life coach. That was not my goal. But what I learned in that academy were the skills that I needed to communicate with people on a much softer more compassionate level. And that's what put all the pieces together. Now, I was, I'm a born teacher. When I was a little girl and you would ask me, what do you want to be when you grow up? I'd say, I want to be a teacher. I want to be a teacher. And then even in my corporate career, I was a teacher. So as the mainframe administrator, I would have to teach the, the, my fellow staff members how to get the information in and out of the computer. So, and that was my favorite part of part of the job. I loved teaching people. I loved seeing that smile on their face when I showed them how simple the process really was. And so now all the pieces just fit together. They just fit. And it's almost obvious to you having been through that, how everything fits. But when we're on the other side, you know, I, I, I liken it to, and I'm going to date myself with this, but I'm of a certain of a certain age where I can remember watching Columbo on television, and of the television detective shows, Columbo was my favorite. And it was never a question as to whether Columbo was going to catch the bad guy in the end. The question was always how, right? What was going to be the thing, and can you find the thing that he's going to point to to say, and that's how I knew that John Rogers was the killer. Uh, And there's actually a meme online that that I've seen that says, if Columbo asks you five direct questions, get comfortable with the fact that you're probably the killer. (laughs) So yeah, so I I can identify with, with what you just shared. But I'm wondering, so what is a, you, you describe yourself as a healer and a spiritual warrior who assists individuals in breaking through obstacles that prevent them from living their life to the fullest. Now that that sounds like a coach, but that sounds like a whole lot more than just a coach. Yeah, so um, first of all, let's start by defining a warrior. When people hear that word, they think I'm ready to go into battle. But the truth is a warrior is someone who stands on guard to prevent battle. Okay, so a spiritual warrior, I want to deliver that message that love conquers all. I still believe that. Mm. I believe that there are only two core emotions that we can experience. One is love. The other is fear. Now, fear can come in many, many forms. It can come in depression, anxiety, uh, prejudice, um, hatred. It just, it comes in many, many different forms, but at the end of the day, it's fear. So how do we get fear? Well, we're taught it. 
we come into this world as perfect little beings. We, you know, we come out of the birth canal and we are just perfect. And from the minute we land, the programming begins. <laughs> All right. And our parents try to take care of us. And, and I like to use the example, um, you might say, mom, I'm going out to play. And one mother will say, great, have fun, be back before dark. And the other mother will say, be careful out there. You're getting two different messages. You're getting two different programs. Now, these people are our parents, our clergy, teachers, aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters. Um, most of them have good intentions. And they're teaching us based upon the way they have experienced life. So, for instance, let's say your brother was in a severe car accident. He's going to urge you to be careful when you hit the road. And so this is how the programming starts. This is where our fears come from. Okay. So as a spiritual warrior, I want to get you back to love, back to loving yourself first and foremost, and then that will generate out into the world. And to remove these blocks that have gotten in your way over the course of time. We are all incredibly powerful people. We are all incredibly powerful leaders when we let ourselves be who we really are. Mm, I love that. You know, it's, it, it's reminding me of uh, an, a, a book that I read some time ago uh, called What to Say When You Talk to Yourself by Shad Helmstetter. And he talks about how much programming goes into creating who we believe we are, even without us knowing it. And to your point, you know, there's just so much programming from our family, programming from the television. There's so much programming coming from places that you don't anticipate, but that's informing, you know, as I think it was Einstein that said, you know, one of the first decisions that we make is whether we live in a safe or an unsafe world. And based upon that decision, everything else gets framed. And so, boy, I can just so relate with everything that you just shared. This programming, first of all, it's got to be difficult to identify that we are programmed, let alone be willing to reprogram ourselves. Uh, and I would think that that would be the challenge. How have you found that to be challenging for people to first recognize that they've been programmed? And then second, be willing to choose, is this program working for me? Well, for me, working with clients, it's easy because um, think of me, again, similar to a sports coach. All right. So I'm watching your performance and I'm picking out where you could do better. Mm. So I'm going to give you a perfect example. I'm working with a client who suffers from imposter syndrome. This client has a great job, but this client doesn't understand why they have this job. And they're fearful that someone's going to find out that they're a fraud. So we're doing the work and I have some, some fabulous uh, methods that I use to shift subconscious limiting beliefs. We literally can 
rewire our subconscious mind. So that's what I help clients to do. So we're starting uh, a session one day and I said, so what would you like to work on? And the client said, well, you know, work's always going to be tough. That's a given. And I said, permission to call you out? Client said, of course. I said, listen to what you just said, okay? Work is always going to be tough. That's a given. Would you like to change that programming today? <laughs> <laughs> so for the average person who's, who's not working with a coach, and I'd like to just interject here. I don't call myself a coach. Coaching is one of my skills. It's not who I am. Mm. Um, if, but if you're not working with anyone who's helping you with your leadership abilities, and we're all leaders at the end of the day, if we're not leading a family, an organization, a church, a government, then we're leading ourselves. The minute you wake up in the morning, it's your responsibility to lead yourself. So we're all leaders. And if you're not working with someone who can help you pinpoint those limiting beliefs, that programming, simply take a good look at your life. Mm -hmm. Is your life working for you? Because if it's not, you've got some negative programming in there. Yeah, you know, and uh, there, there's, a, there's a book that I read uh, and actually do a masterclass session on every week uh, with Miss Ann McNeil, who was just a guest uh, earlier this season. Uh, on whiskey, jazz, and leadership, and we we study the book Think and Grow Rich. That's a book that talks about how do you identify your path from getting from, from where you are to where you want to be. However, you define riches, right? There are twelve different ways of defining riches, and 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 here, typically in the in the Western part of the world, when we say riches, we automatically go to money. And of those 12 ways that Napoleon Hill used to define riches, money's on the list. It's actually number 12. It's like the last thing. <laughs> but if you're wanting success in your relationships, if you're wanting any of those things, there is a path to achieving those things. And typically it starts with how do you think? We are more, more subject to programming than we might want to admit. You are doing more than just being interested in brain in the brain and in how we think you're actually helping people change the way they think if they so choose yeah and so um a couple of things i want to hit on the old definition of wealth from the bible was a bountiful life in all areas. Wealth did not refer to money. Wealth mm. referred to healthy relationships, Ooh. lots of love. Say that again. Say that again. Wait, wait, wait. Redefine that. Say that one more time. I want to make sure that everyone hears what you just said. Yes. The, the original definition of wealth out of the Bible did not refer to money. It referred to a, a wealthy life was a rich life full of abundance in every area, okay? And if you're happy, and you know because you're studying this, if you're living a happy life, the financial wealth will come automatically. Now, interestingly, I did one of those uh, little surveys on LinkedIn, and I wrote a little 
script and I said, you know, all of us want all of these things. We want healthy relationships. Uh, we want good health. We want, you know, a nice bank account to afford the things that uh, we desire and happiness and joy. And so I had four things and I asked what, which of these is your number one pr priority? Now I know we all want all of them, but which one is your number one priority? Do you know not one person chose money? Not one person chose money. That really surprised me. Hey, it's not too late. Hit that subscribe button so you're sure to catch the next episode. If you're really enjoying the vibe, leave us a review or become a VIP for guests and show exclusives. Cheers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.